0: We've journeyed with Jesus and seeing Him do life and ministry from the wilderness uh, through Galilee into Capernaum, Gesinneret into the Gentile areas of Tyre and Sidon, to Caesarea Philippi, Jericho last week. And now, for the first time in the book of Mark, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. For three years, He has preached and taught and healed and, and served. And now, during what is called the Passover week, He is entering the Holy City. As we see in John 1.1, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word. And we know that the Word is Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus has been from the beginning, and He was with God, and He is God. And so it's important for us to understand as we talk about this last week of Jesus' life that Jesus has always been in existence and will always be God the Son. Right? He has no beginning. He has no end. So as we look at the life of Jesus on earth during, during, during Christmas time, what do we do? We celebrate the birth of Jesus. Right? But He was here before the birth of Jesus. We want to make sure that we understand that as we approach His last week on earth, that He's eternal. Mark 11 begins the last week of Jesus' life over a period of, of eight days. And beginning here, Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem. And we're going to see him do a few things. We're going to see him cleanse the temple. We're going to see him challenge the religious leaders. We're going to see him institute the Lord's Supper. We'll see him arrested. We'll see him put on trial and and then crucified. And then we will see him raised from the dead. And all of this week wasn't a week that just happened by surprise. This, this week was, was a week that had been planned before creation. This was Jesus' plan of redemption, his plan of salvation. And we're going to see that all of this was done and, and timed perfectly in his timing. Sometimes we read passages about Jesus going to the cross and we're thinking, man, how did you get there? That's why he came. He knew what he was doing. If you look in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, which is where we'll be today, if you don't have a Bible, use your devices, we'll be up on the screen, and they'll we'll have Bibles at each row as well. Um, but Mark chapter 11, you may have a heading over your section. What's the heading over your section say there? Anybody? have Triumphal Entry. That's It's most commonly known as the triumphal in- entry. Some will call it the Jesus' coronation as true king. And Jesus' arrival into this city here is a very clear declaration of him being king, of his kingship. What we're about to read is recorded in all four Gospels, so we can just kind of get the picture. Everything in Scripture is important. Amen, church? Right, but this is in all four, so we can see the importance of that. And as they approach Jerusalem, they're coming to a city that would be booming with activity. Right, it was Passover uh, time It was, it was believed that, that this city could have up to three times its normal population during this celebration. With people coming from all over the known world. The Jewish people would celebrate Passover. We're not going to dive into Passover a whole lot. But uh, they would celebrate the Passover as a reminder of God delivering His people from slavery from Egypt. Jews will still celebrate this holiday today to remember God delivering their nation from slavery. And for us as Christians, as followers of Christ... When we read of the Passover and think of the Passover and the Passover lamb, we are reminded of Jesus and him delivering us from our slavery, which is sin. So let's take a look at chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, and see how Jesus enters into this last week in the picture of him coming as our king. And to honor God and his word, would you stand with me as we read Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage in, in, in Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will enter in, you will enter it and you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple, and after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve, since it was already late. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that, that you are in charge today, that we get to come and make much of you today. So God, help us set aside whatever it is that's distracting us. Help us only listen to you so God, be in charge today, be in charge of our time. God, we're grateful for our friend Mike, and just had a, a rough time medically this week, and he's here today, and so God, thank you for healing in his life. Thank you for doctors, and God, we're, we're blessed by, by, by that and by him being here today, so thank you for what you've done there. God, be with us today. We know you are. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus is about to enter the city and enter into his last week. Um, If you've been with us or or you know the passage in our our study, we looked at Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10 and each one of those Jesus pulled his disciples aside and he laid out for them and he told them that he must die and he will die and be rejected and handed over and suffer and die. Let me say that again. He must, he must be and will be rejected, handed over, suffer and die, and rise again on the third day. One of the things he says in chapter 10 is this, that this all will happen in Jerusalem. Like we're headed to Jerusalem, and that's all where this is going to happen. And so now, here Jesus is, here are his disciples. They're approaching Jerusalem, where all of that suffering and rejection and dying and, and the rising again will take place. So we need to understand Jesus' entrance into the city and the time of it all is very intentional. It's not like they were driving down the road and GPS took them the wrong direction. They knew where they were going. They walked there purposely. All of it is, it's, it, the timing is perfect. It was all intentional. And church, his destination is the cross. And as we walk through this text, we're going to see Jesus as king. And what I'd like for us to do this morning is see him, see Jesus, see the king as the one that we are to worship. So looking at our text, they're they're about to Jerusalem. They're almost into Jerusalem. And Jesus makes what seems to be somewhat of an odd request. right? He tells two unnamed disciples. We don't know who they are. They could have been two of the twelve. It could have been anybody that was following him and he was leading them. But he takes two of the unnamed disciples in verse 2 and he says this. Go into the village opposite you. And immediately as you enter in, you will find a colt tied there. So as soon as they walk into the gates of this, of this town, of this community, they're going to see a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat, untie it, and bring it here. Can you imagine, you're hanging out with Jesus and you get to do all these great things. And then Jesus says, he kind of pulls you aside and he says, hey, I need you and your buddy to go into this village over here, walk into it. And when you walk in, you're going to find an animal tied up. Here's what the animal's going to look like. Here's what all this is going to be. And I'm just going to ask you just to grab that thing and just take it. Right? And just just walk away with it. But Jesus continues in verse 3. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it back. So Jesus, knowing that they're going to be questioned, he knows what's going to happen. He's already set this all up. He tells them what to say. Tell them the Lord has need of it. So verse 4, they went away and they found a colt tied at the door, so right at the entrance into this community, outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders, we know from some of the other gospels that these bystanders are actually the owners of this colt. Okay? So some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And so they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. They told them what he said, and, and they gave them permission. Now, I want us to look at the detail here. Where they are to go. This is what Jesus does. He tells them where they are to go, what they're going to find, how they're going to find it, and even what to say. So why so much detail, especially regarding this cult, right? This, this, this animal. I mean, five verses seem to be dedicated to this little thing right here, right? Five verses. But really what we see here is this. We see who Jesus is. And here's what I mean by that. All of this attention to detail is to show us that Jesus is in control, Jesus is in control on the back of your bulletins. You don't have any pre-printed, but if you want to write down some of the notes that we have up here, it shows us that Jesus is in control. A lot of times as we go through life, we don't recognize that, that God is in control, do we? Right. Sometimes it's only when things out of the ordinary happen. I've said this, so I'm not picking on anybody. It's like, man, that was a God thing. And God's saying, what about all those other things? Right. Like everything. He's in control of all things, but he is in the details A former professor of mine at Midwestern Seminary wrote a a book focusing on the life of Jesus and the Gospels, and he wrote this statement about the cult and Jesus being in control and being a God of the details. He writes, there was a particular donkey which the Lord had prepared for the occasion. There was a particular owner who was directed by the Lord to tie their donkey to the front and to expect the Lord, the Messiah, to send for him. The owner was so prepared that when the disciples started to loose the donkey, all they needed to say was, the Lord has need of it, and the owner would be willing to release their donkey for the Lord's use. Our God is not a God of coincidences, right? He's a God of the details, and He's control of those details. And I think a lot of times if we walk through this, is what I love walking through verse by verse through, through passages is, is we don't miss little things, right? It would be easy, over, it would be easy just to skip over this passage. Okay, I got the donkey. They're walking in. Let's get to the good stuff. We know the temple cleansing clean is coming over. Jesus is going to flip over some tables in a little bit. I want to get to that part. Anybody ever do that on a show? You're like, okay, this is boring. This is the details. Let's get to the action, right? But we can't, we can't skip it. We can skip over, over this fact and just kind of read through it quickly, but it's a good thing to just slow down and see just some of the simple details and that he knows what he is doing and he's in control. Jesus, in regard to his entire earthly ministry, each miracle he did, each, each step he took, over this whole event that's going to happen in this last week, over his, over his entry into Jerusalem, he has authority over it all. He has authority over, the de- over all the details. He is in control. Isn't that good to know that we have a God that's in control? Nothing catches God by surprise. Let's take a little bit deeper look. So the great thing about this entry, this event, is all four Gospels give an account of it. And some of them have a little bit more information. None of them contradict. They're all on the same page. But some of them have a little, more, little bit different information than others. And you look at Matthew's account of this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. It says this. So, so you got the cult, right? They go in, they get the cult. Jesus is going to write it in. And it says this about Jesus and the cult. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. And so Matthew's about to quote from Zechariah 9.9, verse 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted, say those next three words, on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. So not only is Jesus in control of this event and of his entire earthly ministry, but here we see that Jesus is fulfilling the word of God. And it's important because Jesus was showing the people he's telling them Hey remember remember what remember what uh, brother Zach said right prophet Zechariah remember what he said that your king is coming right that he's going to come gentle and mounted on a on a donkey even a colt Jesus is telling them I'm he right I am I'm him I am that promised king I am the promised savior I am the Messiah I just love this. Jesus, by following the details right, of, of, of Scripture, of the prophecy and God's Word, he follows it to a T, and he's in control of that. He's fulfilling, church, a 500-year-old prophecy. you just got to love this, church. 500 years before Jesus even came, God promises that a cult will be available for him to ride in the week before Passover for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem as their king. You can't make that stuff up, right? There's no way that anyone could write that script unless you are God. 500 years to to a T. Jesus is showing them, I'm in control. And he's fulfilling prophecy, he is fulfilling the word of God, showing them that he is the promised king. And I think we need to see one more thing when it comes to this, when it comes to Jesus riding into this city on a donkey, on a colt. I'm going to tell you, the very first time that I read through this, and I'm like, all right, we're going to... We're going to bump Palm Sunday way up because that's where we are in the text. And we're going to read through this. And it's like, okay, where's the meat? Where am I going to really dive into this? It's all through it. Like God is in control. He's, there's so much to take out of it. But when he rides in on this cult, here's one thing that we see. We see that Jesus embodies humility. Think about this for a moment. Think about these people. The people would have seen many times great and mighty people, generals, Right, kings, rulers, enter into their city. And they would have seen them come in with their parade of people and guards and soldiers and more than likely on a beautiful and powerful horse like a stallion. Are you with me? But that's not what Jesus does. He comes in as a king, but with no soldiers. And he's surrounded by those that he came to die for king came to die for people? Is that how it's supposed to work? He's surrounded by many that would probably be yelling for his crucifixion in a week. Riding not on a stallion, but on a colt that had never been ridden. World leaders, even today, make a point to show their power and their might to those that are under their rule. But King Jesus, the mightiest of all, he comes in, not arrogant or pushy, but gentle, And humble and remember right before this in chapter 10 he had a big focus on what's the what's it like to be the greatest right to be a servant of all right we looked at that in chapter 10 jesus was talking about him not coming to be served but to serve you guys remember that and to give his life a ransom for many Jesus had said to be great was to be servant of all. He came to serve, which means he came to provide for us what we could not provide on our own. Salvation and forgiveness and, 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 a, and a life with him. And here he continues to example for us. And, and he comes in in humility, not with a, a show of might, but with a show of humility on a young little cult. Church, Jesus is in control. He fulfills the word of God. And even as King Jesus, he is humble we come to verse 7 they brought the colt to jesus and put their coats on it and and sat on it so those two disciples bring in the colt to jesus and they they take their coats off so jesus could sit on that thing and and they began to parade into jerusalem and the bible says this and many spread their coats in the road and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. so you guys know what the leafy branches are palm branches all right so it was a tradition It was common, it was common when a king would come into their city, they would take their coats and they would take their palm branches and they would spread them out on the road. The palm branches, they were, they they symbolized joy and salvation. And so what they're doing when they're laying their coats down and they're laying these branches down, they are making way and welcoming a king. So remember, this city is crowded with people. Many of these people would know who Jesus is, right? I mean, his fame, his fame spread They've heard of him, they've they've heard him teach with authority, they've they've, they've heard him, uh, they've they've seen him do miracles, they've seen all of these things, and now this crowd is welcoming Jesus and making way for him as they recognize him as king. And Jesus, as he's writing in, he's saying, you got to write, I am your king. Jesus, with purpose and intentionality, presents himself not only as the king, but as the messiah so he's presenting himself as king as they're spreading their coats and palm branches and welcoming him in it's just a beautiful picture but it's not in a way that the world would do it it's not like with the big trumpets and all that else. that day's coming by the way right but this is the, this is where they they're recognizing him as king and he's coming in and saying i'm it i'm i'm the messiah i'm the king and then we read what the people say in verse 9 those who went in front of those who those who went in front and those who followed so the people that were coming in with jesus the people that were surrounding them they were shouting hosanna Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. Just a side note, I love this. It's always fun when you're walking through the Gospels to see what the other guys say about it, right? What God had said through them. In Luke's account, they're coming in and and, and they're all shouting out Hosanna and all this other stuff. And it says this in Luke 19, 39. It says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He's wanting them to shut up, right? He's like, hey, knock it off. But just check this out. Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if these become silent, if the people become silent, the stones will cry out. Let's try that again. If if they're quiet, the stones will cry out, right? Psalms 96 and 98, both, both read of all of God's creation, including the rocks, will cry out in singing the praises of God. That was free. That's good stuff right there. But let's look at what these words that they're shouting out towards Jesus. Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Here's Jesus fulfilling some of this again. These words that the people are shouting as he enters in, they're words found in Psalm 118, verses 25 through 26. I think we've got them up here. It says this in the Psalm. O Lord, do save, we beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. Prosperity. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. The word Hosanna literally means save now, I pray. Save now. And it's fitting words for them to say to Jesus. Amen? Save now. Their words could not be more true. They needed Jesus. They needed a Savior. They needed Jesus to save them. And guess what, church? The good news is he came to save them. But there was a problem. There was a problem with what kind of saving that many of these people wanted There was a problem with what kind of saving these people thought they needed the jewish people They were they were under the rule and under the law and they were under the oppression of rome And so many of them had hoped that this coming messiah the savior would be that kind of savior One sent from god with the intent of rescuing them delivering them and and liberating them from rome Church they were looking for a political and a military savior. That's what they were looking for Jesus and his disciples had already experienced this earlier. If you'd walked through this series with us, we saw Jesus feed 5,000 5, the first time, right? He feeds the 5,000. In John, he writes of this in John chapter, five, or John chapter 6, verse 15. So he had just fed the 5,000 men. By the way, let's just praise God for this miracle. There's 5,000 men. That's not counting women and children. Probably fifteen to 20,000 people here. And Jesus takes these five loaves of bread and two little fish. I'm telling you what, church. Bring it to God and see what he can do with it. Amen? Man, I, I, just, I just get fired up about this passage, because here we are in one of the most ungodly cities in all the United States. It's one of the most unchurched cities in all the United States, and we can look at God and say, God, this, this is yours. Do with it. We're going to give you us, and you, you multiply that. But with five loaves and two, five loaves of bread and two fish, he, he feeds all the people. And so after that great miracle, it says this in verse 15. All that have happened. And then it says this. So Jesus perceiving they were intending to come and take him by force. Why? To make him king. He withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. They were confused. They had their wants and their desires as their goggles. They wanted this this kind of king and savior. They wanted Jesus to come and free them and, and set up an earthly kingdom. And so they shout out, Hosanna, save us. They're not thinking eternally. They're thinking, save us from Rome. Save us. They were thinking and hoping that with the hope that Jesus would save them from their political enemies. But what they needed most wasn't a savior from their political enemies. What they needed most, what we need most today, is for Jesus to save us from ourselves. Let that sink in for a second. My alarm went off this morning. And the first thing we do is, we go into action. Like, who's breaking in? Like, I won't tell you what I did. But, you know... We stop. We protect ourselves, but it's really us that we need to be saved from the most. It's what they needed, what most of us, what we all need today most, is for Jesus to save us from ourselves and from our sins. Jesus didn't come from any political reason or any military reason or selfish reason for him or for the people he came for a much bigger reason he came to redeem he came to save and forgive us from our sins he came to save us for eternity church this isn't just like hey did somebody just coming by and helping you out for uh, just one little short piece of time this is for eternity and to make a way for us to have a relationship with god sometimes we can do that with god what they're doing we get this picture of who we want Jesus to be. We do that. I do that. We get this idea of who we want Jesus to be. Many, many view him as like a, a genie in a bottle, right? We don't, we don't call out for him anytime unless we want something. We're like, hey, Jesus, come on out. Or maybe it's Amazon.com, Jesus, right? Where we're just kind of like, oh, I want this. Just dial in. I'll see you in two days, Jesus. It's funny, but it's true. We come to Jesus for what we want from him instead of seeking what he came for and what we really need. And they're going to find out soon, and we already know because we've read the end of the book, that Jesus came for a purpose, an eternal purpose, and that was to save. And the people are shouting and they're celebrating, but in reality, they're having this party, but Jesus is showing himself to be king and the promised Messiah and Savior. And while they're celebrating, Jesus knows the whole time that he is willingly marching towards his death. Are you with me? I mean, they're celebrating and they're, they're rejoicing, but Jesus is saying, hey, I'm your king but it's going to look a whole lot different than you've ever seen before. I'm walking towards my death that you should be dying. Because although they didn't know what Jesus was really there for at that point, Jesus knew. He purposely rode in to make his way toward the cross, toward an arrest, toward a false trial, toward a, toward a beating, toward a, a, a crown of thorns, and to die for them and to die for us. That's why he came in. And so we do rejoice. Jesus was still in control. He was still fulfilling God's word. He was still living out humility. And church, what we see here is this, is Jesus knows why he came. As much as we want to make him an Amazon.com or a genie Jesus, he knows why he came. He came because Jesus is the only one who can save, church. He came because he's the only one who can save. It's not our money. It's not our good looks. It's not our good deeds, it isn't how religious we are, it isn't how many times we went to church or didn't go to church, it isn't, how, it isn't how much we listen to K-Love radio, it's none of those things. It is Jesus and Jesus alone that can save each and every one of us from our sins. Amen. It is Jesus alone that can make a way for us to be with the Father in heaven. It is Jesus alone that can forgive us of our sins, wash us clean, take our place and save our nasty butts. Amen. Right? I, this amen's good, man. You guys are doing good today. Think about that. Just think about this. I'm just going to say these four words. Jesus came for you. It's personal. He came so that you could walk with him. He came so that you could do life with him. He came so that you could learn from him. He came so that you could be with him. Church, it is Jesus and only Jesus. He is in control. He fulfills the word of God. He embodies humility. And he is the only one who can save. And then we come to verse 11. And we see, we see the first thing that Jesus does as he enters into this city. The first thing inside is the temple. This big temple there. It says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the twelve since it was already late. This seems a little strange to me. After all of that, they march in, he sends people out, there's a colt sitting over there, they bring him on in, he kind of rides that bad boy in, right? And You got these palm branches and everything's laid out. Hosanna, blessed is he, right? You got all of those things, you've got this big parade, and then he enters in, he looks around, and then he leaves. It seems a little uneventful. There isn't a big speech, right? There isn't a bunch of big uh, fanfare at the end of the parade. Anybody go to parades ever? Do we have parades here? I have never been to a parade here. The road, I, I ask for your forgiveness, okay? Isn't there like like a stage and stuff where they kind of like celebrate and kind of have music and stuff? There was none of those things. And the crowd had just gone away. But Jesus enters the temple. For them, the temple was really, they looked at it as really their focal point of their faith, it was of the Jewish faith. And so Jesus comes in and he observes and he sees everything. We're gonna it's gonna set up what we look at in the next couple of weeks, so I'm not gonna go into that too much. But Jesus, knowing that this is the kind of this is kind of their, their focal point for their faith, he stops and he looks around. He he sees what's happening. He's looking at what they're doing in the temple, he looks at everything. Jesus does that throughout his entire ministry, right? He observes. He sees. He takes inventory. He sees conditions. Why does he do that? Because, he, again, he's in control because he has authority. He has the authority. And because it's late, he's going to head out to the town of Bethany right outside of Jerusalem. It's a nice, quiet, and safe place to stay. But tomorrow, he's going to get right back at it. And after observing everything, he will come and set some, th- some things straight in the temple. As we close this morning... Yes, I'm the pastor that says we close this morning and we're not going to close right away, okay? We've got a little bit more to go. But as we close this morning, after looking at this entire text today and seeing Jesus, we see he's in control and he's all about the details and he's in control of those details. Think about your life. Do you see Jesus at work in the small details in your life? Do you see God at work in those small details in your life? He isn't distant. He isn't disconnected. He isn't unaware. He's fully in control with full authority and we see that he fulfills the word of god jesus walking towards jerusalem even something simple that we would normally just walk right by in the word of god he's riding in gently on the donkey he's coming in as a king as the messiah and him claiming that he that that if the people don't yell out the rocks will i would love to see that i'm just going to be honest with you but jesus is fulfilling prophecy he's fulfilling the word of god and we see that he embodies humility Mark 10.45 says that he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came, church, as king, but riding on a donkey, gentle and humble, and riding in knowing that he was about to give all of himself for all of us. What great humility. What a great example for us. And Jesus does all of this. He rides in because he knows, church, listen, he knows we need him. Because he's the only one who can save just like we sang that song a bit ago, it is Jesus, only Jesus. I just, I just want to be clear. There are teachings out there that say that there are many ways to heaven or to your spiritualness or your salvation. That's just a bunch of junk, church. Just hear me clearly. Jesus, The Bible says very clearly in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven among, given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus, church. It's the name of Jesus. It's Jesus. It's through our faith in him and believing in him that we can have salvation. We can't even earn it. There's nothing we can do. He's the only reason that we can be, that we can be forgiven of our sins and that we can be made new and walk with him. Jesus came into the city and they cried out and rejoiced for their king. Let me, let me, let me, I just want you guys to catch this. But they saw Jesus in a way he never came to be. He didn't come to be a military or political leader or for, their, or for their personal advancement. He came to be the savior of the world. Do you see that? Like he came for you. Are you sitting here today? Yes, he came for you. He came for the neighbor that dogs bark all night. You with me? you ever, Anybody have those neighbors? Brother? Last three nights, man, it's like 11 o'clock, just like on clockwork. He just gets out and starts yapping. He came for that neighbor. He came to be your Savior for 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 your spouse. He came for your kids. He came for your neighbors. He came for your enemies. To die for you and them, to save you and them from their sins. Don't miss who Jesus is. Is today the first time that you recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior? He came as the Messiah. He came as the promised one to be our Savior. And he came, church, to be king. He came to be Lord. He was Lord. Here's some questions for us this morning. How about you this morning? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Is He in control of your life? Is He king of your life? Or are you? That's a tough question to answer this week because I, overall you're like, yes, Jesus, way to go. But then you start looking at little parts of your life that you are king over. Is he Lord of your life and king or are you? You may know Jesus this morning. Maybe you're saved this morning. And and the question is, are you following him? I'm not talking about just how we do it in our world. You know, my Facebook Facebook page says, I love Jesus, so I'm going to heaven. Amen, right? I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about you're following him because it's on there. I'm not talking about that you have K-Love songs memorized. I'm not even talking about you coming to church on Sundays. Those are good things, right? Hear that. Those are good things. Those are all good things. But to be a Christian, to be a believer, means that you are a Christ follower. Not a Jeff follower or a Charles follower, right? Or a Chuck follower or a Jeff follower. You are a Christ follower. It means that He is in control of your life. It means that He is pointing you to the Word of God and leading you to live it out each day. It means that He is God and King and Lord of your life. Not just Sunday, but also Monday through Saturday. Is Jesus king in your life over every area of your life? Because he's going to stop and observe. He knows your life. He knows what's going on. And he's trying to get your attention in certain areas of your life. In just a minute, we're going to have some time to cry out to Jesus. Time to be with him, to hear from him, and to respond to him. If you're sitting here today and for the first time in your life, you would say, you know what, I see Jesus as Lord and as King and I want to see Him and know Him as my Savior. If that's you today, I'm just going to tell you, we saw it last week that the blind dude, he jumped up, he jumped up and threw his cloak and came to Jesus, amen? And so if that's you today, is God, if God is, is, is calling you to save you, He's the one that saves, it's not me, it's not your, your, are you with me church? Like It's God that saves and if He's calling you, man, respond. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Respond to God's call on your life to follow him and ask him to save you. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what? Jesus is my Lord and, you know, he's my God. I've been saved. He's my king, but I've not been following him. There's not evidence of him in my life. I have been in charge of certain areas of my life and I need to trust Jesus over those areas. I need to trust him to be Lord and king. I want to give you guys that time in just a minute, just to take that time to cry out to him in prayer and turn from whatever it is in your life that is taking his place. The good news is, the good and bad news is, we all have it. We all have it. Take the time to thank Jesus for intentionally making his way to the cross. Because of him, we can say that we are his and that we are saved, that we're going to spend eternity with him, and we give him praise that he deserves. Why? Because he's King Jesus. In just a few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So we want to take some time to examine our hearts. The Bible tells us to do that, to bring our hearts before God, and ask God to prepare your hearts so that we can take the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. So we're going to do that here in just a little bit. What I want us to do right now is to just respond to what God did during this message in your heart. If we don't know Jesus, man, throw off that cloak, jump up and just tell him, I need to, I need to know Jesus. Man, you can come up here, you can raise your hand, man, we'll tackle you outside, whatever it is that you need to give your life. I mean, he's the one that saves you. You just need to respond. Are you with me, church? So if you don't know Jesus today, don't don't if he's call, man, don't 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 deny him. Don't reject Christ, right? If you're here today and say, "You know what? I know Christ, but he's not king in my life." I'm not treating him as king. And take some time to praise him as king. So go ahead and take some time to do that this morning.